I am Patricia Oliver, and this is my husband, Manuel. Two years ago, our beautiful son, Joaquin, was shot and killed at Parkland. Every day I think about him and what his last moments must have been like. Meanwhile, every day, nearly 100 more families lose someone they love to gun violence. Every single day, we keep telling people it doesn't have to be like this. They don't listen. So we found a way to bring back someone that no one will ignore. It's very hard for me to look at this. So please, please listen to what our son has to say. Yo, it's me. It's Guac. I've been gone for two years, and nothing's changed, bro. People are still getting killed by guns. What is that? Everyone knows it, but they don't do anything. I'm tired of waiting for someone to fix it. The election in November is the first one I could have voted in, but I'll never get to choose the kind of world I wanted to live in. So you've got to replace my vote. Go to unfinishedvotes.com, register, then go vote. Vote for politicians who care more about people's lives than the gun lobby's money. Vote for people not getting shot, bro. I mean, vote for me, because I can't. We've got to keep on fighting, and we got to end this. All of you be part of our movement. We need you. Mi amor. All yours. What's up, bro? My name is Joaquin Oliver. And I was shot in my school. And you have been listening to my parents for the last four years. And I'm not reading any fucking teleprompter either, just like my friend that just was here a few minutes ago. I'm telling you from my soul what happened to me. A shooter came into my school and ended my life. My dad is wearing my shoes tonight. The shoes that I wanted to wear for prom. But I had no chance for prom. And they've been sending that message out there. My mom, my mother is right here. Trying to convince you that you don't want to be in their shoes. Why is that so hard to understand? Thank God for the advertising industry that is really listening to my parents. They've been in D.C. They've been in the Oval Office. What are we doing next? This is not for my parents. This is for me. 
I earned this. I gave my life so you guys could be creative enough to make a change. I was shot four times. I need you to work. I need you because you are the ones with the ideas. So far, you have done more than politicians. I believe in you. I'm here watching you. You can prevent this from happening. You can change the gun culture that only exists in America. You can change the love for guns and turn it into love for life. You can save lives. Create something tonight. Don't go to bed tonight thinking, oh, that was just a speech. No. I am Joaquin Oliver. And I lost my life. And I don't want anyone else to go through this. This award is for the 45,000 victims of gun violence that we allowed here in America. The most powerful nation in the world is letting that happen. How is that possible? Bring ideas to the table. Make a change, make a difference. The advertising industry is the most powerful force out there because you can change the future by telling the truth. And by the way, the truth is not that the gun industry and selling guns is freedom. Freedom is leaving. And I cannot enjoy that anymore. So we are here for you. With you. Today, Leo Burnett is receiving awards like crazy. Why? Because they took the risk. They knew that there was a chance that this was the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do. And it is the right thing to do. Now, imagine if all of you think the same way. If all of you are willing to take the risk, we can save thousands of life. Make a change, make a difference. Advertiser of the year? Advertiser of the year? Change the ref? Did you ever heard that name before? Before this night? You were expecting Nike or I don't know, someone else, right? Change the ref? Advertiser of the year. Why? Because Leo Burnett took the risk. Take the risk. Be brave and save a life. Thank you for having us here tonight. And viva Wack! All right, we're here with Got Some, episode seven. We're here with my cousin, Ricky, who's in town from California. Ricky is 67, 34 and a half years sober, and he's aging like a fine wine. 67 young. 
Are you right. a, related to my cousin Vinny? I uh, know. Utes. <laughs> Don't trigger him. I'm sorry. Dose Utes. <laughs> so, Ricky, thank you for taking the time. You're heading back to California in the next couple of days, but we're generous enough to come spend time with us and share a lot of things. We've got a few different ways we're going to go, uh, different directions today, but I wanted to start off by just introducing you. I'm also here with my dad. Very happy to be here. Always happy to be and get some. Uncle Jim. Second time. Hopefully there's a third. <laughs> and uh, he might take a minute to answer here. The sloth. CJ. The legend. Lagagando. Anyways, and Honey's here and everybody's here. We've got Ashley here. Give Ashley a little love. Hi, Ashley. So we've got a full set, and I think pretty soon we'll do a full studio audience uh, by request. So anyways, let's dig in. We want to talk about a few things. We're going to talk about philanthropy. We're going to talk about who you are, and we're going to talk about where you came from, your sobriety, and how important that is to you. So to, for starters, 1956, born in Dearborn. Hey, Jeff, I'm thirsty. Oh, that's right. Our customary ginger shot. right now. Everybody? Someone care for this fever. You were a little slow on the draw there. I get it. That was the idea. To health. Ricky. To, to, Ricky. to, to sobriety to Ricky. Thanks for being here, man. Ricky Pantelli. Tempty Cups. Dearborn, Michigan. You! It's got a little kick to it. That was fantastic. It gets better every time. It no, does. It no, it doesn't. I like you two sharing a mic. It's, they it's, might they might kiss, great. which would be strange. If we get a mic kiss out of this, I think that would be we a, born a huge win. From a different mother. I like that. What happens only. here <laughs> will not stay here. <clears throat> All right, let's dig in, okay? Uh, Dad, Angelo, mother, Patricia, from Dearborn. And we're going to skip over to age 17. And you're at school, high achiever. What's wrong with this kid? What's wrong with him? He doesn't fit in. He doesn't fit in. Yeah, he doesn't fit between the rails here. He must have a disorder. And personally, I like to think whenever I hear OCD, ADHD, I like to substitute that last D with a G. For, I like to substitute gift. With, oh, well, that's good. OC gift. Yeah. I like OC driven. Oh, even better. OCD, OC driven. Yeah. Yeah. Obsessive compulsive mm -hmm. gift. Obsessive, compulsive, driven. Guy, look at the gift. Yeah, it's a gift. Yeah. But, you know, you're not like us, so you have a disorder. We must work with you. So you get called into the principal's office. Walk us through that. Well, my principal and my dad knew each other, and so he knew my family situation a little bit, that, you know, life at the Pantelli family was you had to do exactly what you were told to do all the time. And I'm not complaining, but that's how it was. And he just said, you know, come over here. And I, he says, you want to get out of here? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, will be in my office at 3 o'clock this afternoon. And at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I went in his office. Secretary let me in, and there was the U.S. Navy and my mom and dad. And he goes, Rick, you want to join the Navy? And the only the rush to see who could sign the form first between Angelo and I was <laughs> present. Angelo, your father. Yeah. So yeah. my dad, it was good for him. It was good for me. So my life started uh, the day my dad dropped me off downtown Detroit at 5 in the morning to go into the Navy. I got out of his car, I heard the electric door locks click, he took off, my life began. 
and then walk. I went went to Great Lakes Boot Camp. Uh, was really good there because I'm OCD, so all the guys would day before inspection have me shining their shoes. I would make a fortune. I'd graduated boot camp and went to San Diego, was stationed on the USS Dubuque, which is an LPD-8. I spent three and a half years on that ship. And I, I was drinking throughout all of this time, by the way, and casually drinking. But I was on in the Navy on a ship, got off the ship uh, after I was discharged, took a bus to San Diego, rented an apartment at 26th and Cloverfield, two-bedroom apartment for $200 a month, went to the hardware store, bought some detail equipment, and started detailing cars, and that's how I started making money. Why San Diego? You got on a bus to go there? Well, that's where the naval base was. Got it. Okay, so you already knew the area. Yes. But when you're in the Navy in San Diego, it's a whole different thing. You know, it's and this was 1978, 79. No, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, this was 1978, 79. So. Okay, and then in a twist of fate, you end up in auto detailing. How did that happen? Because my dad loved his cars being clean. My uncle did. And the way to get out of the house was to go, say, Dad, can I wash your car? And when he determined I was really good, he made me a little detail shop in our garage. So after dinner every night, everyone had to go wash dishes and all this stuff. I just had to wash my hands, go over to his desk, grab the keys to the Electra, and I'd stay out there till 10, 11 o'clock at night detailing cars. So it got you out of the house? Yes. And then how did you get your spot in California doing that? I just knew that I, it's one thing I could do, and I just can't work for other people. But you also got a great position there. You well, so what at- happened, how I got on the Warner Brothers lot was <clears throat> I was detailing cars in Palm Springs for a while with Gus, living with Gus, my uncle, and I got a t- page on my pager, and it was an 818 page, which is Burbank, uh, San Fernando Valley. Hold on, Ricky. Mm-hmm. Explain to some of the people who might be watching this. What is a pager? (laughs) (laughs) It's the thing after eight tracks. No. (laughs) Anyhow, I got a page for my on my little pager, and I called the lady, and she said, "Kent, this is Kathy. You've got the part." And she was a casting agent for the Days of Our Lives TV show. And I'm like, "I'm not Kent. My name is Rick. I make cars look beautiful." She goes, "Can you do my car?" And I said, "Yes." And she said, "When?" And I said, "Tomorrow." Like I didn't know how I was going to get there by tomorrow, but I did. And that began almost 24 years on the Warner Brothers lot. The last 10 years on Warner Brothers lot, they said, we're not letting car detailers on unless they pass our strict curriculum. And I always came in on top because, I mean, you know, I'm just very OCD at how I work. So Plus, I had the Navy to that, right? Yeah, the Navy, um, the Navy gave me good discipline. It, the boot camp did. You know, I was sure. I was in the Navy when it was being in the military was, you know, it was right after Vietnam. It wasn't your best people. The only people in the military after Vietnam were people where the judge said, go to jail or go in the military. So that was my crew, <laughs> a bunch of roughnecks. And uh, yeah, I never sold marijuana before, but I was on ship for maybe six weeks and uh, I was taught how to how to merchandise it. Got so, it. So yeah. <laughs> it's making money. But car detail has always been good for me because it's a thing where you start in the day and you're given something and it's like a a dirty car. And at the end of the day, it's a clean car and you have this major sense of accomplishment. And then people come up to you and go, you're amazing. Here's some money. And that doesn't happen in a lot of businesses. Every day hearing people praise you for your work is really cool. 
That's very cool. Did you guys know each other back then? Were you in contact? Oh, yeah. Um, when Ricky left to go to the Navy, I didn't see, what, five, six years? Mm -hmm. I would come back every now and, and he then. He would come back every now and then, but it was always an adventure. <laughs> and, and Ricky and I, quite honestly, we got along great, right? He's my favorite male cousin and one of my favorite people in the world. Right. He's just genuinely cool. And Thank you. He is. I, I love him dearly. I understand how yeah. it could be that way. <laughs> <laughs> We both had similar parenting, and yeah. Yeah. Can but, you tell me one of these adventures? Uh, they're all in, they all include, well, with him? With Uncle, yeah. With, Let's uh, give him a well, good story. Well, Greek Town. Oh, there we go. Greek Town? Mm -hmm. You know where I'm going with mm -hmm, this, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right, so we're actually, all the cousins. We're, actually, we're good. All the cousins <laughs> are in Greek Town, and you asked for it. You're getting it. Okay. I can't wait. So we're there, and little do I know. The guy who's going to light the Saganaki is right behind me. Well, I'm the only one who knows that. I mean, I'm the only one who doesn't know that. Right. And when he lights that thing, man, I about jumped in Ricky's lap. And it, it, was, it was quite funny at the time. Get is that how you got the haircut? No, Dad gave me a haircut when he grounded me one time, and it never grew back. <laughs> to know him as a kid, a typical evening for us would be, to go steal a shopping cart, put him, he would get in it, and then we would just wheel down the sidewalk, and people were all sitting on their porches after dinner, and he would be like, screaming at people. Freaking out at them. He would go up to people behind them in the mall and just, these days you get shot doing some of the yeah. stuff you do. But he, you're just a funny guy. You've always I mean, had a sense of humor that is second to none. You're just a, you're, you don't have the room in your life and your brain for drama and seriousness. Uh, and if you do, you 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 have comedy first, yeah. humor, to be happy. That's it's my important. outlet. Yep. That's my release. It's a good release. Yep. All right, so let's let's dig into the nitty gritty. We've got thirty four and a half years sober. That's great. We've talked about sobriety on the show already. We don't want every show to be, uh, hey, same thing every time. Yours is really different. I mean, you've got a lot of other things you did. The auto detail on the Warner Brothers lot is amazing. And then 12 years into the detailing business, you have an interesting story, which is you basically humiliated yourself into sobriety, which is. Well, so I would, I was a super high functional alcoholic. I would drink every night and I was a professional. Like I didn't even, ha I would, I would, wouldn't even go out till about seven or eight. I would tip the bartenders 20 or 30 bucks right when I walk in the door because I knew at one when I was out of money, they were going to hook me up. I drank. I never was an unhappy drunk. Never. People liked to be around me when I drank because I just had fun. Yeah. But I knew I was drinking way too much and I could see it was affecting my relationships. It wasn't affecting my work, but it was affecting my relationships with my family, my mom. And then one day, <clears throat> excuse me, I... Um, I woke up and uh, the Cadillac was in the front lawn. I had poked a hole. I'd driven the car up onto the front lawn, poked a little like eight inch hole in the side of my house. The car door was open. I obviously had just pulled up, put it in park and walked out of the car. There was a trail of $20 bills and Tommy burger wrappers leading up to my front door. And the keys to my house were in the door and I was crumpled up in a sports jacket and suit. I dressed nice to go to clubs and in the corner drunk. 
or hung over, and I woke up at about, I guess, 11 o'clock. Now, there was a producer on the Warner Brothers lot whose car I had been trying, whose account I had been trying to get for a long time. And he's like, ah, nah. And all his buddies like, let Rick do your car. And I'm like, ah, nah. One day, he finally says, okay, I can do your car. And that day that I woke up that day, I was supposed to be at the Warner Brothers lot at 8 o'clock to meet him, get his keys, and do his car. I was beyond humiliated because that was a really cool guy. And I respected him a lot. And I blew it. And that was my last time ever drinking. I could not have a drink after that. I did go to AA meetings for a short while. I had attended over 100 AA meetings with my mother. My mom had asked me to go to meetings with her. So I've been in AA meetings and very, very powerful ones. But I personally have never shared in an AA meeting. And, and, and a side note, I highly recommend AA. If I have a friend who has a drinking problem, I'm going to tell him you need to go to AA. But for me personally, I just couldn't do that route. So that night, I went to the Canoga Park Pet Orphans, and I got a little chocolate brown, actually, uh, brindle. Little three-week-old brindle lab named Tigger. And I went to this egghead. It's called Egghead. That was the name of the store. And I bought these thi this thing called a computer. <laughs> <laughs> and that computer and that puppy dog kept me busy when I came home every night and took, took away the need to go out and to be somewhere else. So it was the dog and the computer that gave me time and made me ch change. And then I had a good surrounding group of people. But it was huge. I mean, when, when I remember four months later, my brother Tony told my mom at Chris's house, Ricky's sober. <laughs> my mom's like, what? <laughs> Although at times, I, when, my, when my mom drank, the most emotional and beautiful times I ever had in my life were with my mom when she was drinking. She told me things. So, Ricky, tell me, it uh, seems like you have a real strong bond with your mom. Tell she, me about your mom. Well, that's why I'm here in Michigan. I'm here because yesterday was the anniversary of her, or two days ago was the anniversary of her dying, passing, and I've been trying to make the trek out here when I can to pay my respects to my mom, who's buried at Woodmere Cemetery. It's very important to me. And my bond with my mother, you know, when you lose, if your mother, I loved Angelo and I looked up to him, but the only person I really looked up to in my whole life was my mother. So when the only person you have in your life leaves, you're like, holy cow, I'm on my own. Right. I'm really on my own. But I, to this day, when I do something that's cool and wonderful and helpful, I go, how am I doing? <laughs> that's really it so it's like am I looking to heaven is she in heaven is there a heaven it doesn't matter to me it's like I know that half the stuff I do I do to show my parents wherever there are in the ether that I'm doing good you, it's wrong actually I sometimes I is that right you should maybe do it for yourself but I don't care why I'm doing it or I care why I'm doing it I don't care enough to do it for my I don't think it's important for enough for me to say I'm doing it for myself it sounds selfish actually I'm doing it to for my parents. So my mom was a wonderful lady who, um, like I said, best friend, just she knew he's different. Don't treat him like the rest of the kids. Treat him differently. He wants to pick out all black clothes, let him wear all black. <laughs> she knew. Thankfully. And she stood up for you. Yeah, yeah. that is, that's a blessing. Yeah, it, when your mom dies at 32. Yeah. Wow. I wasn't ready. I, I need about four or five more years of fixing. <laughs> That's tough. And the way that happened was you got a phone call, and also, she said, I'm dying, mm -hmm. and 
if I have one person to be my roommate, it's going to be you. Get get in here. Let's I go. had just moved to Sedona. Just we had we're living in an RV while they built our house. They finished the house. We were moving into the house, and my mom calls. My mom had been in cancer treatment for eight years at at uh, UCLA, and she was in remission, and then she came back, and then she was in remission, and this was it, and she knew it, and so she called and she said, "I have four children. I need a roommate. I choose you. When can you be here?" And I said, "Give me two days, mom." So she had a really good attitude in the end. We had bells that she would use to, to call me. She would have her bell and, I, and one in the living room. So one night I'd, I'd put her all in bed and we'd have a little talk and give kisses and a hug. And I go out on the couch and I get all quiet in the couch and warmed up and turn out the light. Ding ling, ding ling. <laughs> all the clothes off, go in the bedroom. Just checking. <laughs> <laughs> she was really cool. So you go out, take care of all of that, which sounds like a lot. You come back, and then uh, moving past family, you had a, a huge life event, which is gigantic. And the, the same day that Magic Johnson announced to the world he had HIV, you found out you had it. You yeah, found the, out you had it. Magic Johnson told the world on February 12th that he had HIV in 1992. And that was the day that my doctor, who wasn't an AIDS or HIV doctor, he was just a regular doctor, he had to call me and give me my test results. And it took me 10 minutes to get him to stop crying. He was so distraught because it was a death sentence. Yeah. And you and took I the would, test for something else, right? And he I, I took a, Yes, I had taken a full blood panel. And they, he called me to tell me I had HIV. And so... Um, that was the day in which the first thing, when, he, when I got off the phone, my 18-year-old employee was standing right next to me. He heard what happened, and he said, time for you to start having some fun. And I never forget him saying that. So then I spent the rest of the day getting a Blue Cross policy because I knew that that's what I needed. I needed insurance, and I got it. And then you go into a trial program. I went to UCLA. So I had had cancer before I had HIV. So my cancer doctor called this man named Ronald Mitsuyasu, Magic Johnson's doctor, now retired, and says, you're taking Rick Pantelli as a patient. And he's like, no, I'm not. I'm the head of the department. I'm taking, not taking any patients. And he goes, I cleaned up after you in college for two years because they were roommates in the dorm. You're he taking goes, him. You're taking him. And he did. And we became the best of best of friends for 30-some years. And he just retired, and I bought him some gifts and stuff like that. Now I have a really cool one. But at the, that time, in 1992, there was a, a, a clinical trials for a drug that is now used as PrEP. But back then, it was called uh, Descovy. And I was put on clinical trials for HIV, which is now the drug they give to everyone in the world to keep them from getting HIV. So you got the right trial drug. Early on. And then... I'm a Trader Joe's baby from that moment on. I never put anything in my body. I treat my body like a temple. I don't do stupid things. You don't want to beat cancer and have HIV and die falling off a ladder. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I safeguard myself. I safeguard myself at Tom's house just walking down the stairs. I'm not going to kill myself in Gross Point Farms walking down the stairs. So I'm very fragile with my body. What's your secret? Do you wear like a bubble? I just go slow. <laughs> do you really? I, the I'm bubbles kind of on a rise. I wear a bubble when I'm at home, and I just kind of. He's a bubble boy. Yeah. Well, you're the boy in the bubble. Let me ask you something, Ricky. You talked about your mom dying, and Pat to me. You talked about finding out you had cancer. You found out you had HIV. Does any of that 
ever make you want to, oh, I want to drink. Yeah. So you're done. You're just. I can't you never tell you how anymore. lucky I am that I have never. I have never had the desire. Like I know I'm not. See, in AA they say don't project. Right. Which means don't say you're never going to drink. Well, guess what? That's great for AA people. I love that. But for me personally, that doesn't work. For me, it's you can never have another drink as long as you live. End of story. And also, I didn't look at quitting like most people do or some people do. Oh, my life, I ruined it. It was terrible. I've lost all my friends. This, this. I just sat there and said, you know what? That was a hell of a party. Party's over. <laughs> and same thing recently. I quit taking sweets and chocolates last January. And I float right by all them sweets and chocolates at Trader Joe's. And no desire. Because that party is over. Well, strong. Came from my childhood. Now that I'm just thinking, where did that come from? And that came from being raised by a guy named Angelo. You just had to be sharp on your feet. And you had to, when you made a commitment, you had to stick to it. So That's a good positive comment. Strong. I'm lucky. I don't take this for granted. I know how hard alcoholism, alcoholism, alcoholism can be. I have many people in my family and friends that are dealing with it right now, and it, it is. A, it is. I've watched. There's no words people. you can really tell someone. Mm-hmm. Did Did Uncle Angelo struggle with that? And we were too young to really know much about him. I just remember as a kid, you're dead. I because you create these little. Uh, these fictitious worlds in your head, and I'm thinking, who is this guy? I thought he was part of the Rat Pack. I just he like he Gus was, Moore was when Gus okay. died. My uncle Gus, our uncle Gus, my uncle, when the um, Gus died on the front page of the Desert Sun newspaper, the Palm Springs newspaper. They don't put obituaries on the front page of a newspaper. They don't do that. But when sure. Gus died, they wrote the last of Sinatra's Desert Rat Pack is gone. Wow. Because he hung out. He was Sinatra's local Rat Pack. You know. We didn't talk about my dad in as much that I think. So my dad and I loved each other dearly, but my dad wasn't able to say, I love you. My dad only told me he loved me once in his life, and that was at, my, that was at our grandmother's funeral. When he broke down and he hugged me, and in my ear, I heard him say, I love you. He was a tough guy. And so at some point, four years or so before he died, I stopped talking to him. My brother's like, come to Thanksgiving, come to Christmas. I'm like, I don't want to drive two hours to be in a room with somebody that makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. But yet everyone in town would say, your dad just speaks so highly of you. And I'm like, well, I wish you'd tell me that. Yeah. But in the end, I went four years with the three years without speaking to my dad, not a word. And I get a call on August 10th, 20, 2009. It's my dad. What the hell are you? What the, I got cancer. Get your, get your ass over here. Yeah. <laughs> So I drove to Surprise, Arizona that night. And in the end, he told my brothers, go home. You're making me nervous. Ricky, you stay here. And in the end, he was beautiful as always to me. And I cherish every moment that I have with him. I go, I go to his gravesite all the time, which yeah. your, your Uncle Nick is who grandpa. to you? Your grandpa. Yeah. Yeah. They're right, right beside you. Yeah, too. totally. I mean, the last memory I have of him was getting uh, Muhammad Ali right here signed photograph to Jeffrey from Muhammad Ali. And I was like, what's going on? It's amazing. We have, we have to learn. So Angelo wasn't able to have a childhood because his childhood was like really crazy difficult. And he wasn't able to be a kid until he got older. That's when he got older. He could mess around and play around, have fun and joke around. So like I said, I don't want anyone to think, oh, I'm complaining about my childhood. 
it wasn't pl- pretty, but I don't regret a bit of it. I wouldn't change a bit of it because I, I came out okay. Yeah, you came out great, mm-hmm. and you're a fighter. One of my favorite stories is that somehow mom had dinner with Aunt Jenny, Frank Sinatra, while you were dating, and I want to know where you stand on that. Dad? So, I didn't even know that. <laughs> you didn't know that till right now? Have you asked mom have you asked mom about this? Have you asked her about that story? She wouldn't be able to tell you. Now. No, no, yeah. no way. Oh, I, yes. I remember because none of the male cousins were invited. <laughs> Just that the females. That sounds so perfect, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's him. I've met him a few times. He's a sweet man. Yeah. Well, just so you know. And his daughter. Yeah. I live he around just the corner. Mom, talked I'm to sorry. I, I thought that was out. Yeah. I live around the corner from the Sinatra estate. I have for, for 30 years. Yeah. 20 all, years. All I know is these boots are made for walking. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I just, gonna walk all I gotta, over. can I, could you guys mind if I get something off my chest? Yeah, I have had, but be slow. So Ricky, I can kind of relate to you with the uh, lack of getting the, I love you affirmation from your father. <laughs> when I was a kid, my Versus papa, what's that? Ta-ta-ta. Ta-ta-ta-ta, papa, ta-ta. And so my papa, he wouldn't say, I loved you. And me and little Jeffrey, we'd talk and, you know, big PJ, we like, daddy doesn't say, I love you. And, but what he would do is one, one, we were, we were four, six, and eight, and we had these little basketball hoops in our, in our room. And he came home after a long day of litigating. Boring. And uh, he said, let's, uh, and he said, let's play some horse, guys. And we're like, okay, daddy, we'd love to. And then he proceeds to yes. uh, beat first Jeff loses, and then Jeff's crying. Correct. He puts him on the bed. This is a true story. Then he beats me. I start crying. We want to leave. He goes, no, 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 no. You go over there, and now I'm crying. He eventually beats PJ, and at the age of six is when I first heard my dad say, I love you, as he tucked me into bed as I was crying. Thank you, Dad. I thought that was a great way to go to bed. We would we, rotate we, rooms every night, we t- and what he'd do is I always had the bad draw because <laughs> I had to shoot after you. So I always went out first, and then I would sit on the bed and cry. Then CJ, you would lose next. We would cry together. Mm-hmm. And then PJ would lose, and then he would start crying, and we'd all go to bed. He'd say, I love you. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Yeah, we'll play we got again. on I love you, though, at the end. It was very nice. Record, Thank you, Dad. this was Nerf basketball. <laughs> oh, oh, so you're trying to, like, really put that Nerf dagger in. Thanks, Dan. Papa. And Papa. Currently, currently, actually, this year. Thank Full you. circle, Dan. Currently, this year, we are now playing pickleball, which at first, <laughs> I could actually compete with uh, CJ here. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if I can score one point during a match, I actually feel like I'm successful. Yeah. Just one point. Just give me one point. Who cares? It's pickleball. I think we know. Uh, Ricky, it's called all life. All this story here, we realize now why he's wearing that. Did, <laughs> all right? What did you say? All that combined. The, the going to bed because he lost. <laughs> that was me. Sorry. Oh, excuse me. Were you saying something? I'm done. I will say this. That after we finish playing pickleball and he slaughters me, he comes over, puts his arm around me, and says, I love you, Papa. All right, so that was good. We digress. Was that a good distraction? Tiamo, well, Papa. I mean, we let the cat out of the bag. I'm mom, sorry. Mom. I like to progress. Sorry. Are you okay? Uh, Jim, the gas. All right, let's, let's move forward. We've covered a lot of ground here, but I want to talk about your philanthropic work. Philanthropic work. Can I do that again? I have the hardest time with it as well. No, no, no. no. Say it. Try saying, say say Guru, your cheese. <laughs> 
<laughs> I had to Google Just that. Backwards. <laughs> I would leave it. You in. know, I wouldn't edit that. I, I think when I, I was in high school, I had a teacher <laughs> named, I had a teacher named Mr. Weiss and another teacher named Jim Jeffers in Trenton High School. Jim. And they took us out to Sumter Jim. Township in 1973. Okay. And I saw black people living in squalor next to the airport. And then I, along with my team classmates, created a food and clothing drive that took like six full U-Haul trucks in the snow. All the parents had the, we, they knew to, on this Saturday, put out your food, put out your clothing, put out your, all the stuff you want to donate because our U-Haul trucks are coming down the street in Trent. We're going to pick it all up and take it to Sumter. It wasn't until later on that I started doing work for charities sure. that I realized, I go, geez, you did this when you were in high school. So to me, um, I, the work I've been doing in that started mostly when I opened my art gallery and I was in a town that was small, it wasn't like big city, and I was able to start doing charity work for the AIDS, AIDS when that was back when people were just falling over from AIDS, so H, HIV AIDS. I was able to do charity work, raise money for the Boys and Girls Club, which is very near and dear to my heart, uh, animal shelter, all of that stuff. So the gallery didn't- You raised make, like a half a million dollars, right? Between the art gallery, over being in business for the 17 years that I had IncredibleArtist.com, I know that I raised well over a half a million dollars in charity for multiple, uh, for multiple organizations. Since then, I don't have the gallery. I have, I'm on Facebook. I see a little bald kid drawing on the hospital window and he's in chemo. And I'm like, I investigate. I become friends with his mom, his, mom, his name Liam. So Liam, I created a, a fundraiser for Liam and I was able to raise a lot of money to bring a family who lives in the Ozarks. I don't know if you know where that is. <laughs> to see the ocean for the first time. And I sent you a clip, you can watch it later. Okay. So that's like just sitting at a desk for 40 days and calling people and calling people and calling people. I did the same for a little girl named Abby Grace. She did not live. I recently did it for a police officer who was having brain surgery, brain cancer. And again, it's just sitting at a desk and dialing 808 because I'm sending this family. I'm sent, the police chief goes, Rick, do your little thing. Send my cop to Hawaii. So I'm like, are you serious? He said, I said, yes. So it was just getting on the phone and doing it. This is what I need to tell everyone. Because when I do stuff like this, people go, oh, you're amazing. You're a hero. They give you all these acclimates. But I tell people, don't do that. Because that's going to make other people think that only people that are heroes can do that. Actually, we all can do what I did. It didn't take us, doesn't take a special person. So I think you, 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 it diminishes people's thinking that they can go do the things that other when people do. When you overpraise do. it. Right. It's just, you see something, you see the answer, you try to bring the answer to the problem. And it's just innately in my circuitry. I don't know any, any other way to think. And the other thing too, is when you tell the story, cause <clears throat> only you know it, it sounds like bragging. Like, Okay, this guy is bragging about. I mean, that's the hater mentality, right? I think it's amazing. So, so yeah, it's, well, look it, at Oprah. When other people, yeah, when other people sing your praises for you, it goes a long way. Ash, are you here? Yeah. Jump in. Should I move? No, you're good. You guys can share a mic. Do this. Just shift that mic toward her. 
we were yesterday we were at mom and dad's house and i didn't know this and i don't think rick i don't think you knew this either but yeah here do this find a way into that mic okay real close close like you're drinking a glass of water close Exclusive. Get in there. So, hey, Ash, sum up. You got to get in there, though. Okay. Yeah. You good with that? Here, let me help you out. That's fantastic. There we go. Yeah. Better. Better. There you go. All right. So, Ash, sum up, Rick, for you. Who's Ashley? Ashley Pantelli. Ashley is my aunt. Um, Ashley's my sister. Hi. Slash daughter. She's your cousin. And honey's great aunt. So, Ash, sum up Ricky. Honestly, I think that Ricky is just one of the most fearless and loving people that I know. He, in one of my darkest times, saw me and heard me in a way that no one else did and has, you know, helped me transform and, you know, has inspired me to do the same for others. So. Yeah, so you reached out at rock bottom a little bit and then the... He's going through tough times. Yeah, which is normal. That's what happens. Everybody goes through tough times. And so sorry to put you on the spot. All good. Yeah, but. Yeah, no. I don't know. I thought that was pretty cool. And then when we he's were talking amazing. earlier on the phone, he's like, oh, I didn't know she said that. I didn't know she felt that way. Yeah. So. Do you remember earlier 100%. when I told you what you've done here is amazing? Here, jump in here. I told you earlier. Ash, you can jump off. I don't want you to get to. I mentioned to you earlier how amazing I think you are. Thanks. And I'm not. So I just met you really, right? We met yesterday. Right. And I have to tell you. Your parents have done an incredible job. You're the DNA that you have, but then you took, <laughs> but then you took that and ran with it. Appreciate and that. You're, so then I said to you, you need to hear this. You said, thank you. And I said, well, that's because people don't run up to you every day and tell you how, what a great job you're doing and how people that's like, who runs up to people and just tells them this. So I go out of my way to make sure when I see somebody that's really doing something special, I got to let them know. It's important. It's good. I mean, nobody's been, or at least I haven't heard of anybody, I should say, that has come up to me or in conversation said, I, you know, today I've just been overappreciated. I feel... <laughs> Stop uh, with the compliments yeah, already. <laughs> it's just been too much for me. I'm going to go for a walk. That hasn't ever happened. But so we, well, let me finalize it. goes it. both ways. Let me finalize it. Yeah. You're more amazing than you know in how, what you're doing and the people you surround yourself with. And well, so you are. It. You are. Okay. But dad and okay. mom. So if I could just jump you. in here. Okay. So I think of the word humility, right? Um, if you're describing yourself as being humble, you're probably not going to fit the word of humility, right? Right. You don't want to put out accolades or praise on yourself if you're going to be truly humble. And humble is one of the greatest characteristics of it is person, truly right. No doubt. Um, we have someone behind us. Uh, his name had, name is Muhammad Ali, formerly Cassius Clay. Mm -hmm. And what was Cassius Clay known for? He was known for being someone who tried to become the greatest boxer in the world. And he basically did that by describing himself as, "I am the greatest. <laughs> I am the greatest." Now I'm using Muhammad Ali to sort of make the point that. Even though Muhammad Ali was doing that, and in fact, he did become the greatest because he knocked out Cassius Clay, right? <laughs> he became the greatest. Right. He predicted it, and he did it, okay? But the rest, for the rest of us mere mortals, that usually doesn't work, okay? 
when we describe ourselves as right. the greatest. Right. Probably not the best thing to do because right. that goes before the fall, right? right. So when we're, when we're humble, when we try to have that great quality of humility, part of that comes with being um, a servant, serving others, like you did with philanthropy. You're actually serving others, and in that service, you are becoming humble. My preacher, I have a friend that's a preacher. His wife is an artist, and she was in my gallery, and I, I loved him. His name Keith Newsom. He always said, you know, you're doing God's work on earth. You're doing more work. <laughs> You're doing more work than half my parishioners. And just so you know, the, the, when Angelo died, the night I came home to Palm Springs, I went to his church, and they all sang and prayed. Uh, and we, I spent the whole night there. Now, why would I do that? If I, you know, knowing my situation, why would I do that? But I knew that that's what I needed to do. So, you know. Well, I've always said it, Rick. When you do things, you go all out. You don't do it half. You, you don't do it a quarter. You go right. all out. And how many times have I said, man, you'd make a good Christian? Haven't I? Well, Because you not only do it, but you do it with love. And I appreciate that. Seriously. I like my attitude with... Um, it's like, I don't go to AA, but I send people to AA. I don't pick up a Bible, but I will easily put a Bible in someone's hand. I am in a different place, not a better place, just a different place. And I can only take direction from the, my brain. My brain is, and my brain has gotten, a, and my mind has gotten a lot better over the past 15 or 20 years because I'm, well, actually, just recently I turned, I'm 67, I'm getting older, I'm starting to really reflect on my life, my past, because I have very little time ahead of me versus the time I had behind me. And I, I'm sort of summarizing the stuff I did. I'm like, you know, Gus would be proud of you. Angela would be proud of you. All of these people would be proud of you. So that I'm, I'm okay with it. But I am not done. I have one more big thing to do in this world, and that's to work um, gun violence. Work with a group called Change the Ref. Um, How did that come about? I've been following a man named Manny Oliver and Patricia Oliver, whose son, Joaquin Oliver, was shot four times at Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. So they created an organization called Change the Ref, which means, what do you do when the ref keeps calling bad shots? What do you do? Ref, bad shot, bad shot. You change the ref. So I'm working with these folks. I want to make a movie about their son and with their parents. And she knows, I just got an email from the parents the other day saying, we want to do the movie, but we're doing our play first. Let's do the movie. But I'm done with kitty cats and puppy dogs and HIV and cancer and all that because I am a cancer person. I am an HIV person. I can actually say that. They're like, how can you say you're not going to help people with cancer and AIDS? Well, I have cancer and AIDS, and I'm not or HIV, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm done with all that. There's only one mission for me now, and that's to work on this gun violence. So you learned about it that that struck a chord with you. Yes, very. And then I went to meet them. I got to meet them. And that they're, really they're, did one, it. Yeah, they're real. They're All the real in. people. Yeah. You so can't find a person more real than someone who's lost their son, to, their child to gun violence. No doubt. It's different than cancer and AIDS. What's the next step? Uh, we're gonna. We just just got an email from them, and they said we're gonna have a Zoom meeting this week, and we're gonna talk about bringing the play that's in Chicago and New York right now to Los Angeles and to Palm Springs. The play is called Guac, as in guacamole but that was their son Joaquin's nickname guac and to look at the kid and look at how he was adored by his high school friends 
yeah, the last thing they saw was they got up, made a cup of coffee, and they took Guac to school. And Guac said, can you help me make my flowers more pretty? Because it's, it's Valentine's Day for my girlfriend. And that he got out of the car. So I, wow. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm all about one more big thing that I want to do in this world. I'm not done yet. I got one more important thing to do. I like your spirit. I like how you, you we get served up ads all day long. We, this charity, this charity, this nonprofit, this cause, this and that. People, I think, can get numb to it. And you sort of seek it out in your own way. You have like an antenna for it. It but, finds me. Because you have an antenna for it. Oh, yes, you're right. The other people are walking you. with their head down. Look, I like how you go about it. Today's Halloween. I'll be calling my friend Patty Delgado when I'm, when I'm done here. I call her on every Halloween. Her 10-year-old daughter was hit and, hit and killed on a, hit and a run accident on Halloween night trick-or-treating. And my artist all painted portraits of her daughter with rainbows. and So I, didn't, I was looking at the newspaper. I'm like, this girl died on the same day as my mom. Sure. I saw a little boy drown in an Indio swimming pool. I called the parents. I go, I want you to come to my art gallery. I have something for you. They came to my art gallery, but they didn't tell me they were coming. They just showed up one day. And there was, I was with the mayor and a councilman, and this lady comes in speaking broken English. We are Christians, Christians, mom. So I went to the back of my gallery, went to my storeroom. Fortunately, I found this beautiful painting of a dove flying in the sky. Beautiful sunlit clouds and I gave it to her and she cried and she said I'm not crying for Christian I'm crying because you're the only person who did anything so I don't know I just it's innate in me I have a business card it was given to me by a person and it says the connector I go what's this he goes you're the connector and so that's what my business cards now say because he bought me these business cards because it's putting people and things together in this world. Sure. I will be honest with you. I don't have children. I don't have a wife. I don't have any pets. I got a lot of time. Y'all trying to run a life and do the stuff I do, it's, it's time-consuming. I like it's how you use your time. Yeah, and it's emotionally yeah. consuming, yeah. I'm so slow. You are a little slow today. Tell me the craziest story about Uncle Jimmy. They're well, all boring. They're all boring. Oh, you're not talking to me? Sorry. The craziest story is the next thing to come out of his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, like when I call Jim from Michigan or from California and I know I'm going to call him, I'm like, well, XP Aladocious is going to work this time and I got to come up with some crazy saying <laughs> so I can start our conversation with, you know, my left arm just bumped into your pumpernickel or <laughs> something that, Wait, so Jimmy's, that one. no, the most fun, mm. I, it's not a, so much a story, it's the times and the memories. Being with Jimmy as a, with a kid was a release, was a, a vacation. It was like, I can be with this one guy, because Nick was too serious. He had his little ice cream cart. <laughs> Becky was off doing his whatever she was doing. What was Becky doing? What was Becky doing? Dinner with Sinatra. She, Becky was hanging out with Party. Mom. Yeah. She was doing what? Hanging out with Aunt Tony. Oh, that's, yeah. well, that's but, great. And Jimmy had his little ice cream cart. But Sling, slinging I, cream, huh? That's great. It was just... What was I, David doing? <laughs> David was too young. I didn't start. Well, so that's so I don't want to talk. Don't about talk that. about it. Was Papa right, was so. Papa on a walk? Yeah. Dad went out for a walk. Maybe a jog. No. When look when I went to their home, 
I knew they could not have, they could not dance. There was no music in their house. There was a belt. <laughs> the belt was the music. That was that was the, that was the, that was the bass drum. They That's the only time we were, they were raised pa -pa, pa -pa, far more strictly than my dad. Yeah, Uncle, your dad was really strict. Yeah. Well. Well, look how Uncle Jim turned out. They had the same father. Yeah. And that's what we all need to understand is that they that our parents, parents. Our father was My crazy. grandpa was crazy, not nice guy. Just he was, he was really. Evil. He had a restaurant. His wife was the chef. The kids were taken out of school, and they were to be the waiters and the busboys and cleaning the dishes. Angelo had a kindergarten. Angelo only went to kindergarten. Did you know that? No, I didn't. My dad never went past kindergarten. Look what he my became dad did of himself. Tenth grade was his latest, and probably the last four. They, right, you know, it was nothing. My dad finished so. six out of eight at a boarding school in Florida. <laughs> I thought he was smarter. I'm like he's got to be valedictorian. Nope. Started on every team. Yep. You know, again, like, like it's important. People that can watch what you're doing here with this podcast in trying to help people figure out ways to happiness and clarity. Uh, you're spawning people to want to do things. I, I hope so. Yeah. And Look, I don't I know mean you're individuals. You're spawning people to live out somewhere else, and they're like, maybe I can do this to For help sure. other people. That'd be great. Yeah. You know, I don't think everyone's going to watch every episode. It's not like that. It's not for everybody. We're to try to hit as many different things as we can. People that we think are special that have something special to say. Not that there is specialness out there because there isn't. But things that might resonate with the people that come here and our members and anybody in the community. And we'll just kind of shape this thing as we go. Sobriety is the new addiction. I right. have never heard anything that made me think so hard. And when I heard that, I realized you had, I know, I know who said it. Yeah. I know that you guys have a calling for what you're doing here. Good. Because young people need to hear other young people, not old people. Right. And they need to hear it in a way that is like cool. Yeah, deliver. Sobriety can be very tough to do. I mean, there are a lot of people oh, that God. strive for sobriety and every day is a tough day, and they're trying to get there. Uh, what's the uh, story of the guy with the Rolling Stone, where he's basically punished uh, for eternity, pushing the stone? Sisyphus. What's his? Sisyphus. 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 And he's pushing the stone up the hill, only to, as soon as he gets almost to the top, the stone goes back to the bottom, and he has to come back and push it up again. And I, and I think of people who are in that sort of that cap, captive area of, 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 a, of an addiction, mm -hmm. and, they're, and they try, mm -hmm. and then they fail. They try again, they fail again. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Mm -hmm. Their intentions are always right. good, and right. they're trying to do that. It, you know, for those people who go to AA for years and years and years, and often AA can be very helpful, like you've just said. But for you, um, you know, somehow, some way, you hit that point where you said, no mas, okay? Right. This is, I've basically been completely embarrassed. You hit your, you hit your mark and never turn back. That's, that's I actually amazing. did go to maybe a couple of weeks worth of AA meetings on the day I quit drinking with my next door neighbor. He, he's actually the guy that helped me. He's like, Rick, your car's on the front lawn. <laughs> <laughs> 
hole in the wall. So I remember when my neighbors said, you, I, I go to meetings, do you want to come with me tonight? And I think I went to maybe a couple, three weeks of meetings with them. I sat all the way in the back. I was not, sh there was no way I was sharing. And the last time I went was a guy with seven years sobriety got up and said, hi, I'm this and that. And I fell off the wagon. I'm like, oh, seven years. Wonder what it was. He got the wrong order in the drive-thru window at Taco Bell. And that was when I left. I don't, I, I got this on my own. And I don't recommend it for other people. Like I said, other people have families and a whole bunch of other things. And if you don't have a strong will and a strong mind, try to work on aspiring to read or be around people that do. I do, I find that reading important works of other people, uh, you know, just, to, you know, is really important. I can't do this on my own, so I need to read other things that will help me. I sent you a link today. Mm -hmm. It's a famous poem called Desiderata, and you'll get time to read it, but it's this one man's take on, this is how you should live your life. I just sent it today because I hope that other people will look it up. I specifically sent it to you because I want you to read it, but Desiderata is like a little guide to getting maneuvering through life. And and I use those things, quotes, T.S. Eliot, uh, all of the uh, great writers and stuff. I just love to feed off of that. I think it's important. Uh, I didn't do it, you know, you can't do it on your, you can't watch TV and get inspiration. I just don't think you can. Yeah, it's got to happen on its own. Well, all right, well, in wrapping this up, uh, I want to say thank you to everybody who came, Sloth, CJ, Uncle Jim. Welcome. Dad, Super you. happy to be here. Thank you. Cousin Ricky. Been a pleasure, really. Yeah, it has been, been a pleasure. It's been an honor to be part of this. Thank you. And uh, one of the things you told me on the phone when we talked about everything, I was sort of doing my interview before uh, the Godson podcast, was that when you pass, whenever that day is, hopefully it's not today, that the single greatest, greatest oh, accomplishment sure. in your life for will sure. be your sobriety. So it doesn't even need to be when I pass. It'll, it is right it now. It just is. Because nothing will ever be better. Love my sobriety is the single greatest accomplishment that I will ever achieve in my life. There will never be anything quite like it. So if I die sober and I've been able to get sober and stay sober, it is, there is nothing that would ever remotely compare to it at all. I don't care if I delivered a baby in outer space, okay? <laughs> the, getting sober, once you're sober and you're good with yourself, is when you're real and you're you can't get any better it's your your life you can't have uh any more self you can't respect yourself any greater than that and it's you know self-respect is important it's your you biggest have, win yeah you got to make sure you're around people that believe in you and if you're going to be around people that don't believe in you then leave go away from them that's a good message okay this is beautiful i'll be love sharing you. it i love you too yeah and to here's to my mom patricia <laughs> she's listening and angelo and uh and being even though you said dearborn i'm actually from trenton because i wrote dearborn was where i was born oh and to coming back to michigan yeah and being with all my family amongst freezing my ass off <laughs> <laughs> come to palm springs <laughs> next one we'll be out there yeah next one we'll do we'll do out there the living desert hola hola okay good all right, this is Gotsum signing off.